In just a moment, I'm going to read a phrase from the Bible found in the New Testament, Acts 11:26. We welcome you to Laurel Heights in this virtual format. Our hope is you will find Bible truth here and that you will appreciate preaching and teaching from the text of Scripture and then take what you learn and put that in your mind and then from there, into your life every day before God and man. Acts 11.26 describes the Lord's work as it was in Antioch, where many people were taught the gospel, and it says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. This verse is often quoted to show the New Testament use of the term Christians, followers of Christ. I bring it up on this occasion for another point of focus. Let's notice that the disciples were called Christians. Disciples. We're going to spend some time reviewing the significance of this word, disciples. You may determine in the course of this study that indeed you are a disciple. And you may resolve to continue along that good course that leads to heaven and do better and better at that every day. Others may discover in the course of this study, there is a choice that should be made urgently to become a disciple of Christ. In some cases, people may decide from this study they need to resume a life that they left behind. We encourage your serious thoughts about discipleship as you apply this to you and as I apply it to me. In either case, a simple Bible study of the subject will serve us well. Number one, discipleship involves learning. Discipleship always involves learning. The word means learner, not just claiming to be attached to a teacher or master, not just membership in a certain group, not just baptism or attendance or association. While each of these things I've mentioned find a place in the activity of discipleship, the essence of discipleship is learning. The word means learner. Let me take us to one place where we can see this clearly. In Matthew 5, 1 and 2, you'll immediately remember this passage, the Sermon on the Mount. It begins like this in Matthew 5, 1 and 2. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. You see, his disciples came to him, and what did he do? He taught them. And what follows is the instruction that defines disciples of Christ in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Disciples of Christ are those who are his learners. They form their character, make their choices, and engage in their conduct according to what he taught. 
But now let me add quickly, this kind of learning is not merely the accumulation of knowledge for its own sake. It is not simply the memorization of facts, as one might quote a catechism. It is not simply meeting requirements in a degree program. It is learning for living. It is taking in instruction, then taking that instruction into life so that all you are as a person is based on this source material, this body of instruction that came from God through Jesus Christ written in the New Testament. This is well stated in James chapter 1, verses 21 through 27. James chapter 1, verses 21 through 27. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, in this passage, disciple is defined in this important combination of hearing and doing. The hearing part of this involves training, learning, remembering, the doing part of this involves the use of what you've learned in life. Now, the passage contains a promise of blessing from God. Who, do you suppose, could anticipate receiving that blessing? Those who hear and do. It says, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, this one will be blessed in what he does. God promises to bless those who are both hearers and doers. Discipleship is learning for living. You learn from the teaching of Christ. You learn things like honesty, purity, patience, meekness, duty, right priorities, worship, and all the other things taught and illustrated by Christ. Hearing those things, you then set your heart toward doing those things. When you open the Bible to read, when you come to a website like this to listen to a sermon, this business of learning for living needs to be your motive and your follow-through. And if you're having trouble at the living end of things, re-examine your involvement in learning, your level of knowledge, and along with that, your commitment to the Lord, your interest in eternity. Another way to say that is, 
If you struggle with practice, make certain you have learned the right principles and that you're devoted to the one who gave those principles. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Discipleship always means learning for living. We are ready now to move to another level of depth in our understanding of discipleship. As this instruction is learned and lived in life, the disciple becomes like his master. Imitation. This single point really helps us separate biblical discipleship from common academic learning. In the common academic world, there is no inherent motive or goal to become like your instructor or professor. I would have to say, when I was in high school and college, one of my goals was to not be like some of my instructors. In the New Testament, however, as we learn what Christ taught and we obey that teaching, we are able to become like him. Here's one place where that is evident. I'm reading Matthew 10, 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Almost as an incidental, note that phrase, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. See, the words disciple and servant identify people who are inferior to their teacher or master. Discipleship is a role that is submissive, subordinate. We learn under Christ. We live under Christ. We never surpass him. We live and think and react under his authority. But focus now on verse 25, the first phrase. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher. That's the point we're working on now, like his teacher. What can we expect? When we become acquainted with the Christ, and as we believe in him and learn from him and live according to his standard, what can we expect? What is the immediate goal to become like him, to be Christ-like, to reverence God as he did, to treat people as he did, to think and speak as he did, to develop his meekness and gentleness, to hold to integrity as he did, to endure suffering as he did. Discipleship has that immediate goal or purpose. Then again, in 1 John 4, 17. Love has become perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Add to this John's earlier statement in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. This is discipleship presented as 
us becoming like our teacher. As he is, so are we in this world, walking just as he walked. In active discipleship, therefore, we are connected to deity, engaged toward God and with God, becoming like his son. If you ever think something, say something, or do something, and immediately wonder if that was right, apply this test. Would Christ have entertained that thought? Would he have spoken as I spoke or am thinking about speaking? Would he have done what I did or I'm thinking about doing? Those questions can enable us to measure the depth of our present discipleship. Third, in defining discipleship as taught in the New Testament, we should not ignore this very simple thing. Being a disciple of Christ connects us to people in the best kind of way. I mean this in two ways. First, we are connected to other disciples. Second, as obedient disciples of Christ, we are trained in how to treat people right, how to respond to our fellow man in the best kind of way. Discipleship in the context of the New Testament is therefore people-oriented, connecting us to people in the best kind of way. I want us to develop I want us to develop the second aspect of this first. In being a faithful disciple of Christ, I learn how to treat my fellow man. For example, we are familiar with this in Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We call that the golden rule, but it's the rule of Christ and it's about how we treat people. There is in this a fundamental premise of healthy consideration of people. Not the attitude that says, this is what I want for me now. No, discipleship means we learn how best to respond to the needs of others as we want to be treated. In this way, being a faithful disciple of Christ well connects us to our fellow man. But there's another way in which discipleship brings people into our lives in a good way, and that is our connection with others who are disciples of Christ, something that we may refer to as fellowship. When I am connected to God through the activity of my faith in Christ, and you are connected to God through the activity of your faith in Christ, we are fellow disciples. We are in fellowship with each other, members of the same family unit. And here's a passage in the book of Acts in chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, that speaks directly to that, that fellowship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is Christians together, engaged in what was revealed by the apostles, the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. Faithful discipleship not only empowers our relationship with all men, it brings us into connection, into fellowship with other disciples. What an unhappy and unhealthy thing to shun contact with your fellow disciples. I tell you, it's been hard these last several months, but we've made an effort to stay connected, to take notice of our brothers and sisters in Christ, to join with them in digital ways or on the telephone, to have, uh, to have desire to help, but to stand off and refuse to find your place among others is spiritually unhealthy. Blessed be the tie that binds. The Bible teaches one aspect of discipleship is empowering us to deal with people as we should, and especially bringing us into good relation with other disciples of Christ. If you are a Christian, therefore, think of yourself as a disciple and think personally about what that means. It means learning for living. It means becoming like your teacher. It means relating to people in the highest way. If I may use this expression, as we read the Bible and learn of Christ and respond to him, it behooves us to discover the way of Jesus practiced on the ground here on earth in life. Jesus came to teach us great truths, but the purpose is to put those truths into practice, to embed them in a particular way of thinking and living. The authentic Christian life is grounded in Christ and the truth he taught. But it's not just learned, it is lived. It is grounded in the humble practices that he gave. Our knowledge does not automatically advantage us before God or impact our relation to others. But when that knowledge is translated into practice, consistently day after day, only when we live what we've learned do we please God and we are able to profoundly engage with other people. Well, you see that. Here's what may really help us. What we've been talking about in this session involves the allegiance of individual people to a person, Jesus Christ. Oswell Chambers once wrote, there is a difference between devotion to principles and devotion to a person. Hundreds of people today are devoting themselves to phases of truth, to causes. Jesus Christ never asked us to devote ourselves to a cause or a creed by itself. He asked us to devote ourselves to him. Devote yourself to him wholeheartedly, and every necessity of discipleship will find a place and will remain and grow as long as you love him 
and serve him who died for us. Thank you for listening to this recording.